So in contracts, we talked about unconscionability. And ultimately, I, I'm going to apologize because I actually struggle with pronouncing this word. But ultimately, there's a rule that we need to follow. And then the cases that we have kind of outline these rules and how they work. So I'm just going to state the rule and then state the cases. Won't give any fact patterns of the cases. But ultimately, just say what each case builds up of that rule. So the rule is found in the UCC sections 2, 302, uh, subsection 1, and there's some unconscionability in the restatements as well that's kind of relating to consideration, and there's a bit of a difference there, but uh, it really this statement gives a good, uh, sorry, the UCC gives a good outline of how and to define what is unconscionable. And it's defined as an absence of meaningful choice together with contract terms which are unreasonably favorable to the other party. Okay, so that's the definition right there, but this can be broken down into two different elements, a process element and a substance element. This process element is the reasonable choice that we talked about there, and then the substance element is going to be whether or not the terms are reasonably favorable to the other party. So let's talk about how you might show whether there is an absence of meaningful choice. First, there can be a gross inequality of bargaining power. So this is if you, one company, uh, say you go to a gym, uh, you either go to the gym or you can't go to the gym based off of signing the waiver. Uh, And if there are no other gyms available, well, then there's a gross inequality of bargaining power because you either go to the gym or you don't go to the gym. That's really your two options there. Uh, second, the manner in the con- in which the contract was entered into. So what kind of position are you in? And third, the education of a party, which may lead to a misunderstanding or not understanding uh, any significant means of clarity within the contract. So those are how to determine the process element. As far as the substance, and this is going to be Uh, contract terms that are unreasonably favorable. These can be factored by showing uh, that this is quoting from the case that we have here is Williams v. Walker. Um, It says the terms of the contracting considered the light of the circumstances existing when the contract was made. So this is going to be the contract terms compared with the circumstances that it was in. And then as far The second part of this is the terms are to be considered in light of the general commercial background. So we have a triple comparison here. Terms of the contract, circumstances, and then the circumstances to the commercial background. What's fair, what's reasonable based off of what happens in that trade, so to speak. So if it's a uh, a gym well, then what would be considered fair terms according to a gym's contract, those things like that. Our second case was Higgins versus Superior Court. Big takeaways from here is just basically restating uh, the definitions of procedure and substantial, making sure those elements are met. Uh, the procedure here is defined as undue surprise or unequal bargaining power, or rather, undue surprise leading to unequal bargaining power. And then second, as far as the substantial element goes, is that the terms are overly harsh or have a one-sided result.
I do want to mention one other thing as well, as far as the procedural part of things goes. Uh, if it's a form of adhesion, and a form of adhesion is just a standardized form where one party has a superior bargaining strength and then the other party has no choice but either to adhere, that's where the word comes from, or to reject it. I do want to mention that adhesion contracts automatically really meet the procedure elements, and at that point, you just need to prove substantial. It is important to have both elements met. It's not essential, but it almost always is essential to have both elements met to actually show unconsciousability. Our final case was McFarland versus Wells Fargo Bank. Uh, we This is just really examining once again, the unconscionability elements, but the big takeaway from this case is that you can also have unconscionable inducement, and this is just looking at the circumstances uh, that induces somebody into participating in an activity or signing a contract. And so an example in this case is saying, hey, your home is worth this much, and it actually wasn't worth that much. Well, then he's going into this loan with false information, and this is different from falsified uh, misrepresentations because it might not meet all the elements of misrepresentation. And so you can still have unconscionable inducement without meeting the elements to actually deem that this contract is no longer valid, or at least this clause that may be involved in this contract is not enforceable. So you can have unconscionable inducement, but the thing to know about this is that it's purely substantial elements. And so, actually, excuse me, it's purely procedure. And because it's purely procedure, there's no substantial part associated with it. It's a much higher test to actually meet because you're lacking one of those elements. So to override one of those elements, you need to have much more information, much more pressing evidence uh, that supports your position. So that's another way that contracts can be invalid uh, or clauses within a contract can be invalid, and that's going to be unconscionability. A good way to think about it broadly is if process or if substance makes it to where it's like, why would we do this kind of agreement? Forces somebody into an agreement, has no choice, uh, or the terms are unfavorable towards one party or another, then the contract is going to be unconscionable. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials, and the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.